0: And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. Part two, one we've already done. Two, we're getting ready to do. I love these two part podcasts, and it's something new that we're doing on the Intentional Encourager podcast because I really want you to see in different parts how people are and, and talk about different things, and so. This podcast is no exception with the incredible Nancy Barrows, N-A-N-C-Y-B-A-R-R-O-W-S. You can find her on LinkedIn at Nancy Deborah D-E-B-R-A, Barrows. But right now, right here, you see I'm excited, right here, right now, you can find her on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Nancy, if I haven't scared you to death, how are you?
1: Oh my gosh. Scared me. I'm like, yes, let's do it. I'm wonderful. Thank you. And thank you for having me back. I do appreciate it.
0: No, it, listen, this is, this is part one was, was dynamite. And part two, I, I know it's going to be great. You and I, let's start here. You and I were introduced by a mutual friend of ours, Tim Song. Tim's been sure. a guest here on the intentional encourager podcast. Tim's got a dynamic story. And let me ask you this before we get into your story, because I'm really curious about something with you. When you're coaching clients and other people like that, how reticent are people to dive into their own personal stories? Because it feels like that people say, well, I don't know if I, because I've had, I've, I've approached people to have them on the podcast. And they'll say, well, I don't know if I'm, I'm ready to tell my story. I don't know if I really, because there was something that intrigued me. And I thought, well, if it intrigues me, it'll intrigue other people. But it feels like people are reticent sometimes to tell their story. How do you get, how do you get your clients past that reticence of telling their story?
1: Well, oh, you know. First and foremost, it's the understanding of why that would be like, we know it's scary, you know, and, and so many people are worried if I put the true me out there, what is it going to mean for my business, for my work, for my coworker, you know, people who don't know me on a personal level. Um, and we're not often given permission to tell our story, which is one of the reasons I tell mine, Hey, go out there, tell your story. It's powerful. It's impactful, but often what it takes is conversation, right? About what, tell me your story tell me your story. Let me ask some questions. Let me remind you of the powerful things that I'm hearing. Um, and talk about like what it is about this that makes it so scary. Like what, you know, help me understand. Because how do we clear any of that if we don't know what it is you're holding back? You know, I've never told anyone to, I've never told anyone at work to, you know, not everyone in my family knows, you know, and, and again, coming back to, well, what's, what's your why for sharing it? let's focus on your why. Why do you want to share your story? What do you think the benefit is of sharing your story? And that, you know, that's, it's the magic. I can't tell you exactly how, but in talking to your, talking to someone about your story and really having them value it and see the importance of it um, is, is a big permission. You know, I've worked with clients, even, you know, helping, you know, I, I, Tim and I worked together and, you know, he was doing a lot of business-based content, business-based content. And, you know, as a friend, I knew all this stuff about him mm-hmm. and just slowly saying like, you know, like, gosh, it's such a powerful story. And actually the first thing he shared, cause he, he I said, well, how do you want to be seen? He's like, I want to be seen as an expert. I'm like, great. And he's like, you know, I was going to go buy like, you know, the button down shirt, and the blazer. And I'm like, forget that. Yeah. I'm like let people see who you are. Like, let people see who you are, this other side of you.
0: You mentioned something, and, and we're going to get into your story, but something you just said there it is incredibly powerful. You said it's the magic of telling the story. So I wrote I wrote in my book, I remember a time years ago when I was working in the food business, and David Copperfield was coming to perform at um, a local auditorium that we were at. Good-sized auditorium really, really nice nice venue but I can remember we were we were talking to the chef the the sales rep and I the were working with the chef and he was telling my sales guy he said can you get your truck here early because when Copperfield's people come in here they're going to take control of everything there was no side views in this auditorium everything Mm. was straight ahead they couldn't you know there was nobody that could be back there when they were loading and unloading right, the, right. the different illusions because there were things that he wanted to protect and, and it almost felt like to me like okay i know that this guy's a magician and, but if he's really that talented this is the way i felt if he's really that talented he's gonna be like i, I want to captivate you yeah I mean, I mean i don't want you to see how all the tricks are done but to me there was almost kind of like uh, I don't think so, but I know magicians use that to tell the story that they want to portray to the audience, right? Like they can really make somebody levitate or they can really saw somebody in half or they could really do this or that. And I think sometimes as humans, we try to say, I want to tell you the story that makes me look more talented. I want to tell you the story that makes me look like a superhero. I want to tell the story that makes me look like somebody I'm not. And, and you mentioned that in the first part of our conversation, Nancy. You were talking about content curators and, and things like that. And when you said the magic of a story, that's immediately what I thought about. So how do we push ourselves? And, and I want to ask you this before we dive into your story, because I want to say plenty of room and time. How do you push yourself past the illusion of of what your story could be and should be to the audience? I, I didn't ask it right. L- let me ask it this way. Let me drop back and punt and ask it this way. How do you push your clients past trying to tell the story of an illusion rather than the truth? Because the illusion is probably going to look better, it's going to sound better, it's going to feel better, it's probably going to be. All nice and fuzzy and warm, but it's not real. It's not what really happened. How do you push people past the illusion of the story?
1: So, I think there's two important pieces to that. The first is creating brave space. You know, we hear people talk about safe space. You can share, and it's a safe space. We'll all hold this space for you. And I work in brave space. I work in space that's not you, like I'm creating the safe space for you, I'm creating this for us you're not going to go out on a limb by yourself. I'm going to share too. We're both going to get vulnerable here. And you're going to see how you don't look at me any differently in a negative way. In fact, most people then come away going, wow, like I ne- I never would have known and you're so blah, 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 whatever. And and just mirroring back to them, that's what you have to offer to someone else. That's what you that's what your story brings to this world. And, you know, it's okay if you don't tell your story all at once. And it's okay if you don't get to the scariest part of your story first. You know, with Tim, it was, he was walking up a hill and we were talking about, you know, like his wanting to shift his business. And I said, hey, you're walking up a hill. I said, take a video. You're walking up a hill. We all are, right? We, we've all walked up a hill. We've all looked at the bottom, looked at the top and gone, I'm just going to look at my feet and I'm going to keep stepping and moving forward. And that was one of his first shares of personal content, right? Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm shifting, I'm growing, I'm changing and I'm, I'm hiking up this hill again, kind of thing. Um, and that was just enough for him to get that response from people who said, wow, the genuine you, we love you unconditionally. We accept you unconditionally, and that's, once you've had that, it's hard to go back, honestly. Once you start to peel away a little bit of the mask, it's hard to, like, stick it back on and go through life that way. When you've had this opportunity and you realize people actually, a lot of times people don't tell their story because they don't think anyone's going to be interested, right? You're going to put something personal out there. Nobody cares. Nobody, well, guess what? You will be surprised, it not only is it, it's the opposite. So many people are interested. So many people will be inspired. So many people will, you know, con- for me. And I know it's happened for Tim and everyone else that I've worked with. You get contacted with DMS or thank you so much. I needed to hear that today. Or even in comments, I've had people say like, it's exactly what I needed to hear today. You know, our stories reach those who need that, need it in that moment. Um, and they live past us. If somebody may see, uh, me telling my story, uh, a year ago from somewhere I spoke or on a, on on a show, but it received them the day they needed it.
0: Hey everybody, Brian Sexton prices are going up by the day. We've got to find ways to increase our household revenue. Now, a couple of ways you could do that is one, you could go and ask your boss for a raise, but if that doesn't work, Yeah. That and is so, so good. Yeah, stories reach those that and, and you know Nancy, here's the thing, there's connective tissue to everyone's story. Because you may you may not have walked exactly the path that I've walked, but I'm sure when if we would tell each other our stories, there's some connective tissue there. So I want to be respectful and responsive and have you share your story and go as far back as you want to go, you know, go all the way back at, you know, because you have really, really overcome some things that's encouraging. It's going to be encouraging folks. It's going to be encouraging, inspiring to you because you might be walking a similar road right now. I don't know, but Nancy, you,
1: you never know. right? Yeah.
0: I want to, I want to save plenty of room and time for you to tell your story
1: my pleasure it's actually a privilege for me to tell my story and i tell it because i can i don't think people realize that that there are people who can't yet tell their story and so um that's why i do it and my story is hard to receive and i really give everyone permission to feel whatever they feel when they hear it because i've had all those feelings too truly in my journey i felt all the same ways um and so i'm going to go back to the start because like anyone else in this world what I've been through has made me who I am today and so if I don't give you from the start it doesn't make a lot of sense in terms of like gosh well it's it seems too easy right it's not relatable you like oh I, and I say this all the time if I would have seen me today when I was 20 I would have been mad at me I yeah, would have been yeah. like sure fine look at you you're successful you're you're, you're living life you're happy you're de- it's in, unless we share the ugly, like snotty, unsexy parts, we're doing one another a disservice. So yeah. you got yeah, be prepared for that. So the big part of my early years, the story is that I was being sexually abused by my grandfather until I was 16 years old. And at 16 years old, it actually stopped because... Um, it got into the legal system i didn't know there were laws against this it had happened when i was so young four or five years old that you know by the time i realized it was wrong um, i had so much shame and guilt that i had let it happen you know that i had never said no and so you know my whole life has been wearing a different mask to fit in to make sure nobody wanted to look at me twice to find out the secret that i was like hiding literally feeling as if my life depended on it And I was very lucky. My core family was safe and supportive and strong. And I had that benefit. And I say I had the best of a bad situation from day one. You know, that supportive family. I did not live with my grandfather. So it wasn't a, you know, there were extended periods of time where they would come stay with us. Um, but you know, I was at a summer program and and with a bunch of other 15, 16 year old girls who were talking about the boys they like and you know, she this one and that one, their first kid. And the weight of what my history brought to the table in that conversation hit me like a ton of bricks. And I started and to Do you
0: remember the first time that you were aware that this was happening? Because here here's the thought as I'm as I'm listening to this. The thought is. How does a grandfather find his granddaughter? And let's just say it. Let's just put it out there. How does a grandfather find his granddaughter to be sexually attractive? Right. Right. Well, we and and abusive. The first time. what, What were your feelings like the first time you can remember that this was happening?
1: So my memories, and this is something I learned later, how many I was missing, but they are all around when there was a high probability of getting caught. And so the abuse had been going on for quite some time at that point. And I don't understand why he was taking bigger risks. I, you know, for whatever reason, he was taking bigger risks. And I remember my grandparents had come to visit us from Florida. We were living in New York and the upstairs of the house was shaped like a U. And so for those of you on YouTube, you could kind of see where at the tips of my fingers, there were two bedrooms. And then at the curve, there were two bedrooms. So these at the curve, you could see straight down the hall into the other one, basically. And I remember him pushing me down on my bed. And my mom and grandmother were unpacking in the guest room. And the whole time I was just like, please, like, just don't let them walk in. Don't let them see. Don't let them know. Please, please. And those were the memories, right? And it's like that paralyzed, I'm old enough. I know it's wrong. I just don't want, and if it's if it's going to happen, if someone's going to see, just let me die right here. Like, just let's let it. And so I was, I was older. I was probably more like 10 at the time. Um, and yeah, I don't, I don't remember. I tell people, I don't know what he told me the first time that kept me quiet. I don't. Right. You know, who knows, um, you know, as a young child being shown love and affection, you know, and being special and, not, you know, who that could have been enough. Right. It's, it doesn't, the other thing you need to you know is predators don't start off at the deep end. Yeah. You know, it is, it's, it, there's a process that happens over time to make sure that they are quote unquote safe and whom they're going to victimize and that that person is ready to hold the secret you know, no matter what happens. And so, yeah, that was the first time that I really remember. And I was the youngest of all the grandkids. So it wasn't unusual for me to get left behind, you know, because either I was too young or too little or whatever was happening. Um, And then as I got older, you know, people were off to school, college, sports, and I was still home. Um, But all this happened. And at 16 years old, this, the secret I've been holding was like, literally unleashed on my family you know for years and years i was hurting i was hurting yeah but i was protecting in my mind protecting the people around me they didn't need to know and i was really really lucky that people made decisions that they probably didn't even realize at the time were going to be so impactful in my journey where i was given choices because very often right you someone tells you this a kid young person and all the adults swoop in and take control, yeah. right? They're they're going to navigate this and they're going to either try and minimize the impact on you or, you know, tell you how you, what to do. And here's the next step. And the system does as well, right? The system yeah. kicks in. So I was at a summer program. I was away from home and the person there asked me, told me what was going on that they had to tell, you know, that they had to report it and they could call my parents and let them know, or I could call and let them know. And this voice that's always been with me—that's so much wiser than my years—that got this girl through to to being, you know, 50 in February—was um, always there, and I'm so grateful for that voice because that voice was the one that said, "No, I I want them to hear it from me. Like, they're hearing something horrible. Let them hear it from my voice." Um, and my parents—I mean, bless them—on the other end of a phone call that their daughter says that she's been sexually abused for years. Now, is this
0: your maternal or paternal maternal? Oh, I wow. Was my maternal. Yeah. So, and, and so, yeah, let's, let's, let's go there for just a second. And, and, and please forgive me for hijacking this. You are good to go. This is, you know, this is your mother's father that is now doing and has done repeatedly. It's not, been a one-time thing over and over and over and over. How did your mom receive the news? You, you know, and and here's how I'm envisioning it. Okay. I'm envisioning it as a dad Mm -hmm. being an in-law. My first reaction, if that were my daughter is, I'm going to kill him.
1: Oh, that was that.
0: I am going, I am, he's a dead man. Mm -hmm. And then your mother This is like, this is my father. and He's been doing this to my little girl. So take me, what was the reaction like from your mom and dad?
1: I will say that they were, for the most part, really good from shielding me. And it wasn't until I was older realizing like they were going through this with their daughter who gosh, the, the things they saw me go through devastating to them. They were also processing that they thought they had been good parents that were protecting their daughter. And now we're questioning everything they've ever done on top of processing, you know, this impact. And they were pretty good about not letting me see too much of it, which was so brave on their part and so genius, because I would have taken responsibility for it. I did. Everything I did see, I took responsibility for, right? I was the one doing this. Yeah. And, you know, I to my mom's credit, she had no problem cutting ties with her dad. I was never questioned if it was real, if I had imagined anything. Um, my dad and my brother both wanted to kill him. I remember my dad back in the days, there you know, a cord where you had the phone and you actually had to be attached to it. And my dad being on the phone with the airlines trying to make a reservation so he could fly to where my grandfather lived to kill him. And me like pulling on the cord, begging him, like hysterical, crying, like, you can't, you can't, I can live without him. I cannot live without you. Like, I need you. And him having to live, you know, like you don't get your pound of flesh. And to this day, you know, um, I'm out there telling my story and I'm talking about the confrontation, the depression, the anorexia that followed me around for years because I lost control of everything because, I was mad at my body because, you know, we're being frank here. It did exactly what it was supposed to do. You know, every cell in my body, sexual touch, pleasure. And these are the hard things for people to hear, right? That somehow my abuse could be pleasurable. But my body was built to do exactly what it did now over time that got completely separated and and became a different story right and you know i just didn't feel anything um you disappear at least i did um but to this day as i talk about my story my mom can watch me on shows my dad still can't even though he knows like i'm good he still can't my brother still can't like it's still too and i get it like i respect everybody's place and where they have put this in their individual lives um Because it's by no means, like my mom, when I first told my story, it was on LinkedIn. I was a week into LinkedIn and I was invited to a live telethon for like real authentic, like connection over convenience kind of platform. And I'm talking about childhood trauma and childhood trauma and it hits me. I'm like, Nancy, you're part of the problem. Like if you can't say it, how can you expect anyone else to talk about it?
0: Well, the, the natural reaction from a parent would have to be, maybe it's hard for your dad. Being being a dad myself, I, and I'm just trying to step into those shoes. And and your brother, I'm a I'm a brother of, of two <laughs> sisters. It would be hard because in your mind, you 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 think, if I had only seen, if I had only stepped in if I had only known I could have prevented this right. person that I love so dearly from having to walk down this road, it's, it's the protection. And, and I don't mean to be chauvinistic, please forgive me. If, if, if I am being chauvinistic, but it, it it's almost, it, it's a paternal instinct to protect. Mm-hmm. And when you can't, you feel helpless and vulnerable and and it's very painful. And I'm just trying, and and I don't know if you've ever heard that or anything like that, but maybe that's what your dad has felt all these years.
1: Well, and I think he wishes, he knows I'm fine, but he still wishes I had never gone through it. And the the reality is, you know, I say I had the perfect family for me because in there they realized that the best way to protect me was to not seek revenge, was to really focus on me, what I needed, helping me get well, supporting me through the process. And that was how they could protect me moving forward. They couldn't do anything about the fact that it had happened. They were angry about it. They were, I mean, more than angry, like you said, you know, truly yeah. really murderous about it. Um, but they focused on me. And that, I mean, the relationship I have with my mom and dad, it makes me cry all the time. Um, I'm so blessed. Yeah. Even now, like what we've gone through together. keeps so us in a very different, it brought us to a whole different level. Um, and when I, you know, say everybody says they think they have the best dad, I just know I do. You know, like <laughs> it's, they sacrificed so much for me and saw me go through so much and when I started telling my story I hadn't given anyone warning because I didn't know I was going to do it I didn't ask anyone how they felt about it now granted it's my story but I you know it includes other players and so I went to my parents separately and said hey I'm a little late on this barn door open um but this is what happened yeah are you okay with it and my parents in both in their unique ways, you know, as there are individuals, my mom said to me, which she had never said to me before, that she was so proud of me. Because what she had never said to me is she was worried I wasn't going to make it. Wow. And she had never said that to me. Um, and she talked to me about these different places where she had seen me really in the depths of my dark. And one of them was I had court ordered therapy uh in the beginning in the very
0: beginning. This was after and everything came out.
1: After everything came out. And literally I'm five eight. And I was able to c- crush myself into a ball, into the corner of the cat. Like I like the smallest little bundle while we were in therapy.
0: And that's impressive because you're tall girl. Five I eight, am my mom's tall. I'm literally I wish yeah. I had
1: the space to show you. Like I just I I was like without bones, (laughs) I just, you know, collapsed in on myself. My back was to the therapist. My head was in the cushions and it just was like gone. And the second he was like, okay, well we're done for today. I stood up and was like, I was always like, I was the girl they knew. And my mom, like for her, that was one of those moments. Like, oh gosh, like look at what's going on inside my daughter.
0: Yeah. And this, how does she make
1: it through this? Like, how does she get?
0: Yeah. And this started basically, forgive me for kind of jumping ahead, but I want to make sure that we we cover all the basics. I
1: appreciate that. Yes,
0: This is kind of, you know, once you have the court-ordered therapy, does the the anorexia and depression, is that an offshoot of, of that? Did it, did it come from that? And what, what was, what was something that, that surprised you that you overcame because here you've, you've, you, you're 16 years old. You've already come through being sexually abused by your grandfather. Now all this has come out, the emotions that everybody knows, they're all coming at you, you know, and, and you, you, you said your parents did a beautiful job of, of, of shrouding some of those, but you had to see some of those torrential emotions that were coming out. Your grandfather's probably going to prison for, for this. Take me through the anorexia and depra- and how that started and what kind of surprised you most about it as you look back. So, on.
1: yeah, anorexia started as like just restrictive eating. Like I, I started cutting things out that I would be, decide I didn't like them. And, you know, it's like, oh, you know, I'm not going to put cheese on my pizza. And then slowly became where, you know, here I was this, thinking I was controlling my food and and turning around one day and realizing it's controlling me. I couldn't eat even if I wanted to. Right. And it had gotten that bad. Um, and the other side the depression, like my, well, I was, like I said, my day-to-day life was happy and safe. And so I really walked this like chaotic line of when I was okay. And when I would fall apart and I didn't always know when it would happen. Um, But I know that the precipitating episode to my darkest days was when I confronted my grandfather.
0: Hey everybody, Brian Sexton. You know dreams are powerful pieces of intentional encouragement. We all have them. If you're a business owner, you've probably always dreamed of taking your sales to levels you've never seen before. I've got a guy that can help you with that. His name is Brad Norwood. My good buddy Brad has been on the Intentional Encourager podcast as a guest before, and he is a dream specialist. His company, Dream It Pro, offers incentive packages to travel to places such as the Masters, kentucky derby the super bowl even exotic places that you've always wanted to take your team but you just didn't know how to do it brad's your guy and oh by the way brad's a certified bucket list coach so he can help your team members achieve their personal dreams as well i want you to go to www.dreamitpro.com and find out more or call him directly at 479-466-6907 and by the way tell him you heard it on the intentional encourage podcast let's get back to more great conversation here on the intentional encourage podcast
1: And there's a longer story here, but ultimately he admitted to one instance where he had been inappropriate with me and it was something I didn't remember. And that really sent me down a very dark path of what else don't I know? Can I heal if I can't remember it? Like, what if I remember all, what if I can't handle it? Like, what if I remember all of it and it destroys me? Like, there's so much more, I'm having so much trouble with what I know. Um, that was one. Two was, you know, here someone took responsibility. I'd gone through all this therapy. I truly knew it wasn't my fault. Yet this person takes responsibility and I'm still stuck with all the crap in my lap, right? I'm still the one that's going to have to go through therapy to reconnect with my body, to reconnect with trust, to relearn patterns and thinking like we talked about in the first episode of the way my brain worked. You know, I had trauma brain, I I, still don't know my times tables by heart. There are just things that, you know, would, would pop up for me or whatever. And so what's really surprised me most about this whole journey, because if you would have asked me at 20, I was broken beyond repair, broken beyond repair. And I was never truly suicidal, but I was always okay with dying. Like if I got hit by a bus and died, it would be okay. I would go to bed and pray that someone who's loving life tomorrow is going to get a terminal cancer diagnosis. Give it to me. Like, let them live the life they love. And years later, being someone who always thought that anorexia and and being a survivor of childhood sexual abuse would be so much a part of my identity, it surprised me that I would go, until I started talking about it on LinkedIn, long periods of time without ever thinking about it. Like it just wasn't even in my consciousness or even pop up through myself. I remember calling one of my college roommates for Cal one day, cause I was reading a book and it talked about this woman having an eating disorder. And I called her, I'm like, oh my God, like, it sounds ridiculous. So I said, oh my gosh, do you remember when I was anorexic? And she's like, oh my God, that's right. And we started talking and she's like, oh, I used to put soy sauce and everything. But to be in a place where you truly didn't identify that, it wasn't in my life every day, that or the abuse, was shocking to me. I had a Mm -hmm. therapist tell me once, like, someday you're going to turn the page in your history book and this is not going to hurt the way it does now. And I really was like, you're funny. I pay you for this, right? But I truly can say, like, I don't have that pain associated. And because I'm sharing my story and helping others, it's actually become a very different association. It's become very positive. Now, when I tell people I wouldn't change it, there's always that moment of like, "Mm, really? But really, when I got to a point in my life where I liked myself, I truly liked who I was and what I offered to the world, I was able to have gratitude for all of it. Because without it, I wouldn't be the person I am today. And if you like who you are, right, yeah, it sucks. But I also made it. I was lucky. I made it. I had the support. And it has given me superpowers that I get to share with others. So rather than this being this dark, tragic cloud that was over my head, it is now something like, you know, I get to use my experience, turn it around. Right. I, I, I become the thriver. I'm not a victim. I'm not even a survivor. I'm the thriver who's helping others. And that's a really powerful place to get. And so the realization that I would not identify as someone who had been sexually abused, not identify with someone who had been anorexic every moment of my life was the most shocking piece of it. Now, my mood, I still struggle with. You know, I basically complex, complex, complex. Post-traumatic stress disorder, my brain changed, then chemistry changed. So my mood is still something that I that I work on on a daily basis. You know, mental wellness, all the therapy I've had isn't you get a plaque on the wall and congratulations. Yeah. Go 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 have fun. I'm susceptible to the same things everybody else is in in their daily life. You know, I'm human, and I still struggle with everyday human things.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah, naturally you would have to. And and here's the thing, Nancy. I think it's important to understand this: is that your story is unique to you, and there is connective tissue there. And just because someone else is still trying to find their way in processing it, doesn't diminish there. I, I think really what you're saying, if I could, if I could assume for just a moment. What you're saying is, just because we're not at the, we may have had similar things happen, and I may be here, you may be here, it doesn't diminish where you are.
1: And I tell people that all the time. People are like, "Oh, you're so much worse than mine. Like you're sexually abused. You're like I only have like mm -mm. there's no comparing trauma, because the reality is trauma is the same for all of us. Trauma occurs when our system is overloaded. Mm -hmm. It's overloaded and it can't handle what's happening. And there is a systematic, like we can point to the symptoms of trauma because we all carry, right? We have that same structure in us that our brain takes over and our body does this. And, And so no matter what the trauma we all experience trauma and there are so many similarities. So it's not like mine's an A and yours is a D. There's no such thing. And sadly, there's an abundance of trauma, right? So there's not, you know. Yeah,
0: And and how people process, look, you know, and and again, I'm in no way comparing what you went through to what I went through losing my dad. But people say it's like, well, you've handled it. My wife said, you don't ever cry about it. And I'm like, but you don't know that the last 10 years I I am more susceptible to tears than I've ever Mm -hmm. been. I'll see something and I'll have to choke them back because I don't want to let that emotion bust forth. But again, I love what you said there. It doesn't diminish the trauma that each one of us have gone through in our lives. And, And it does encourage us that we all can overcome. So in the last couple of minutes that we have here together, Share with me in this audience, your biggest piece of intentional encouragement.
1: So my biggest piece of intentional encouragement is most of us have been living our story for so long that we don't think of it as remarkable or that it would help anyone in any way, or that they think that they would, you know, it would matter to someone. And I'm, I want to encourage you to share your story in the ways you're comfortable because you have no idea the extent of the people and the power and the impact each of our stories has. Truly, like mine is to make people feel seen, heard, and valued, right? And by telling my story, I'm I'm letting people be seen. I am letting other stories be heard through mine and not just sexual abuse, anorexia, depression stories, trauma stories. I am using my voice, which I lost during all of my abuse, right? Again, I have now found my voice and I can help other people find theirs. And my intention is really to allow us to all show up real, hashtag radiating real, without those masks and receive unconditional love and unconditional acceptance for who We truly are. And that in every moment we are valuable beings, even in our darkest of days, we are a valuable being and we matter, we're important and we make a difference to someone.
0: And I love the fact that hashtag radiating real and hashtag intentional encouragement have come together Mm -hmm. and this has been beautiful. Nancy Barrows, I have, what a powerful story. I am so grateful that you shared it with us. Go to LinkedIn and connect with her. Follow her. Nancy, N-A-N-C-Y, Deborah, you want to find the right one, D-E-B-R-A, Barrows, B-A-R-R-O-W-S. Nancy, again, my sincere gratitude to you. Thank Thank you for joining me on the Intentional Courage Podcast.
1: Thank you. And thank you for creating this space. And I invite everyone to join me and my co-host Brian Schleman live every Wednesday, 6. PM Pacific and every Saturday, 9. AM Pacific, where we are all about fun and sharing the good. So if you're needing that good, if you have some good to share, come light up somebody else's life or come receive the positivity from the positive vibe tribe. We
0: and you never that. know when intentional encouragement might show up there. I mean, it, it,
1: that, come on, we, we would love it. if that's what yeah. we do. We, create space to shine the light on others and for people to be there for one another. And, and, you know, really have a place where it's all, we're willing to be real, but let's, what's good. Who made a difference in your life this week? Yeah. What's something, you know, and I think it's, there's a lot of that that's missing.
0: hundred percent. Nancy, so, again, I can't thank you enough for joining me on the pleasure. Intentional thank Courage you. Podcast.
1: Thank you for having me here.